Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Five Plain Questions. This week, called Five Scary Questions. An episode that shares stories from indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers. With stories that are both scary, insightful, and very, very curious. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this very scary event. I'm director of Canada, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. Here at the podcast, we celebrate our culture and the high art that is produced by our brilliant artists and community members every single day. But I also recognize that within our traditional culture, there's a veil that lies between this world and what we call the other side, sometimes referred to as the afterlife. And it is a very thin veil. Sometimes so thin that we can see past it. And other times that boundary between here and there becomes a bit blurred. And so we're unsure what side we're on. In the following true stories, you're going to hear the experiences that our guests and myself can't fully explain. So let's jump into these astonishing true stories. Okay, um, I am going to tell a story about uh, my grandfather, John Russell. Um, we lived way out uh, in the country, um, away from the highway, and toward back of the house, we, we used to call it the back hills. And that's where my grandfather used to go hunting. And um, he hunted all day and I uh, didn't see any deer <clears throat> or antelope, and on his way back, he was uh, riding by uh, some some large sand rocks. Uh, the formation of the sand rocks uh, were huge, and he said he just got rode past them, and he said in the distance, he, he seen what what looked like looked like a person was squatting down, like like looking down the hill. And my grandfather uh, kind of called out to him, but he was riding toward him. And 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 that person stood up, and it was it, that person was real short and real skinny. And he turned around to look at my grandfather, and my grandfather said he had a star face. And uh, and what looked like eyes, he, he didn't see a, a mouth or a nose, but what appeared it appeared to have some type of eyes and um, so my grandfather got his rope rope out and he was going to rope it and so so when that when that the, the, the short man seen him doing that it the, the star man took off and my my grandfather rode after him and roped him and um, uh, when, when he was pulling him you know, toward him, that um, the star man was really fighting that the rope that was around him, and um, uh, w was trying to pull it off. And when he was doing that, 
that the star man stopped struggling and he turned and looked right at my grandfather again, just looked at him and he got loose. And then it, my grandfather's like, he, he would leap and bound and he got away and kind of jumped behind some sagebrushes and he rode over there, but that little man was gone. And so when he got home, he, he rode on home and was telling my grandmother um, the story of his ride home back home and about the star, the man with his uh, star face. Um, you know, then they, they ate supper and they went to bed. And that next morning, uh, my grandfather woke up blind. And he was blind the rest of his life. I fell asleep and I was dreaming that um, your dad brought some guy home and he was from the city. So he was, you know, how city guys are compared to country people. Mm-hmm. And so he just basically sat around watching TV and was really getting on dad's nerves. And it happened to be his birthday that day, that the guy, and dad had brought home a birthday cake for him, but it was all crooked. And so I was trying to fix it, and then your dad left because all we, all he was doing was sitting around and watching TV. And I was trying to fix this cake because it was all crooked, and here all the frosting had just come off, and oh, I was getting very upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's too funny. Yeah. That that feels like a very real scenario, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's so funny. That's yeah. So funny. <laughs> I know. And you guys were growing. I mean, you were growing kids, but we were all sitting in the living room, and um, your dad was rushing around the house, going downstairs, doing stuff, and all this, that, whatever. And we would just sat and watch TV. And, was, um, huh? Was this at your place, or was this at the old place? At the old place. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and... Uh, I don't know. And finally, I said, because he kept then um, he kept saying, making kind of snide comments to the guy and everything. And and um, then when he left, I said, I am so sorry. I'm sorry. He's like that. He gets that way sometimes. He goes, oh, that's okay. And then I tried to fix the cake, and the cake was a big old mess. And, oh, <laughs> dear. Yeah. I, I actually had a dream of Dad, too, a couple nights ago. Um, hmm. I rarely 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 dream of dad like probably my third dream since he passed Mm. um maybe maybe fourth dream uh but yeah um down at the old place um a lot of stuff going on and i had to get going somewhere but there was commotion outside so i went outside and as i opened up the door my dog sadie came in the house and I looked at her and she was kind of dirty. It's like she she was outside probably overnight or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, and and to me it was nothing. It wasn't like she was you know passed away. It's just she was there. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. come in, Sadie. I was happy to see her. Mm-hmm. And then I go outside and dad dad is outside in the driveway, kind of near uh, where the trees and that little ditch on the other side used to be down there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he had a he had a shovel. And he was, he was, there was a wolf in the yard and he was trying mm-hmm. to keep the wolf away. 
And so mm. I went up, I was holding a white bag, like a canvas bag, and I was swinging at the wolf to help him out. And Dad's like, no, just go. I got this. Just go. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, no, no, I'll help you out. And I'm like, no. And I looked down. I saw a shovel. And so I picked up the shovel, and we were both trying to keep this, this wolf at bay. And the wolf was sort of fixed on me, but... Um, yeah, then, and that was it. Then I then I, I woke up from that, but um, oh. just uh, yeah, it was it was just interesting seeing Dad though. Yeah. Oh, also in the dream, there was a I had two dogs and or we had two dogs and one was a Jack Russell and the other one was a Golden Retriever, and um, the Golden Retriever was beautiful and the guest was saying, oh, my gosh, her fur is so beautiful and really nice. I said, yeah. And then, but the, the Jack Russell, his fur was really dirty. His 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 white fur was, like, almost gray. And I said, well, we're just going to give you a bath. You need a bath. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Those two dogs that's, were in my dream. That's so interesting because Sadie was all dirty, too. Uh, this dog was all dirty. And it was a girl dog. And I said, you are so dirty. You're going to have to have a bath. How is that possible? We both I, jumped of a really filthy Jack Russell. Jack Russell. The house. Yes. Yep. Wow. I wow. know it. <laughs> I know. Wild. It is. Yep. Huh. Yeah, so that was my, that was my dream I, I just had. so when i was in college in a very in a small town in like southern minnesota um i worked at a wine bar and in this wine this wine bar was very very old this town has like a very old historic district it's one of the earlier towns from the state of minnesota but um, this is like an original building to the downtown and it's always felt super creepy. And it was several things before it became this bar. And so um, <laughs> when I was working there and I had been working there for about two years, my coworkers and I, it, on slow days, we would just hang out around the bar and we always joked about the ghost in the building because we always kind of said like, haha, yeah, it feels a little creepy. We hate going down into the basement, whatever. Um, and that was just always kind of something we talked about. And so um, after a while, and this is after a few years of working here at this point, like I'm used to it, I'm used to the area, I'm used to the building, things like that. But um, I would start to see things like kind of in my peripherals, like, and it's, it's a bar, you're working the service industry. So you, you know, you see things, you see people waving you down, whatever. And I would turn and there wouldn't be anything there. And then it started, I would hear someone like call my name to like, you know, and I would say, oh, any, what? And I wouldn't see anybody or hear anybody around me. Like the place would be empty, but I'd still think that people were calling my name. And I was a bartender, so I was often behind the bar too. And it got to the point where I was starting to like think somebody was behind me, either one of my servers or something like that. And I'd turn around and be like, hey, get out from behind the bar. And no one would be there either. Like it would be busy or something. And I just felt this like presence around me that was really crazy. And so one day, I'm sitting there with our cook because it's a slow day. He's at the bar and we're talking about like this feeling, whatever. And uh, I was like, well, I bet it's a ghost. And I think his name is Michael. 
and our our cook was like, why why would you think that that's his name? And I'm like, I don't know. I just I think it's Michael. And then at that, I think that same day, our bar owner's daughter, who would come and hang out with me, was there too. And she was like, well, who do you think Michael is? And I knew that the bar. So previously, it had been a cafe, but two versions before that, it had been a youth center, kind of like a um, like a boys and girls club type thing. And I was like, I feel like Michael once went to this youth center and that's who this ghost is and everybody was like oh okay creepy whatever and we kind of went about our day well a few weeks later i was with the bar owner's daughter again and she was sitting there with me and she was like so that ghost you were thinking about and i was like yeah my, you know michael the ghost whatever and she was like you know what's crazy is there when this place was the youth center and it was run by a local church there was actually a student who died in town and the pastor of like who ran this youth center actually had his photo up as a little memorial in the building and I was like oh do you remember what his name was she's like I don't remember I can only just picture what he looks like like I just remember it being there because she was pretty young when that was happening well and it, it just like this presence started to get more and more and like we were allowed to drink every once in a while when we were at work when it was slow. So like even more, like I would have like a drink while I was working and it would feel just even stronger. It was really strange. And it started to pick up the more I talked about this. Well, I went home and I was talking to my mom about this story. And as someone who does history, she was like, you should just look this up. You should like try and see if you can find someone or like if you can find the name of the boy, things like that. And so I did, and I started looking up obituaries in the town, and I, I ended up finding him. And I found his obituary, and his middle name is Michael. And that, like, the second that I read that, I just, like, burst into tears. <laughs> and I don't, I don't quite know why, and I don't quite know, like, where I got that, but, like, I felt, I was like, oh, yeah, this is him. And I texted my bar owner's daughter, and I was like, is it this person with his middle name being Michael? And she was like, yes, that was the person. He, in the early 2000s, um, was drinking after a party and got hit on the train tracks. And that's how he passed. And it was really sad and he was memorialized at this youth center. And um, I was talking to my mom's friend who's like pretty into like spiritual spirituality and like ghosts and stuff. And she was like, I think you started crying because he felt remembered and that presence felt remembered. And so I haven't been back to the bar since I moved out of that town and I was done with college, but I do remember the very last day that I was there, it was like kind of quiet at the end, we were all closing up and I did say goodbye <laughs> a little bit because I was like, if you chose me to like come and remember you and try to speak to me in some way, like that, that was great. And so I made sure to say goodbye. So before I start this particular story, I guess I'd like to preface it with uh, a different story. Uh, and so this was uh, back my sophomore year of college. I was living in my first apartment in Moorhead, Minnesota. Uh, I lived in just a kind of a dumpy little apartment and uh, with a roommate of mine. And we lived right next to the train tracks. It was uh, back in the day when the trains would come by every night at 2 a.m. and they would just lay on the horn and every morning at that time I would wake up just to hear that and uh, it was awful. Um, that's not really relevant but it just kind of give you an idea where it was at. Um, 
But uh, this one particular night, we had my roommate and I, we had some friends over uh, from out of town and uh, we were all kind of just hanging out, um, not really doing anything real exciting, just sitting around uh, talking and uh, it got to a point in the evening where I got really tired and I just decided to go to bed. So I, just, I said, you know, good night to all my friends and, uh, and I went to bed. And that night, I, as I, um, when I was sleeping, I had this really vivid dream um, I, I often have pretty vivid dreams. I dream a lot. Um, it's, I, it's something I really enjoy. I think that's it's ex- exciting, you know, like uh, all the, the different kinds of dreams that I have. Um, but this particular dream, I remember it being a really dark night and I was in a parking lot. And um, in this parking lot, there was only uh, one light that was on in the parking lot and it was shining down on this person. And uh, as I got closer, I could see that this person was being possessed by a demon. And I could just see like in their face, like the contortion, uh, like the, the movements of their body and just like the sound emanating from their, from their voice and things like that, that uh, th- this person was being possessed by a demon. And so I, I went up to this person and I remember like grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them you know, yelling, you know, like, hey, like, like yelling to get out, get out, you know, and uh, um, I remember then the demon actually did leave that person and they went, the demon went inside me. And, uh, and I remember just screaming, like, you know, to get out. And I remember just yelling to the top of my lungs in my dream. And then I I woke up, I woke up in my bedroom and it was dark and I kind of, I didn't think anything of it. I went back to sleep. Well, that next morning, my, my friends told me, they're like, wow, what happened last night? I said, what do you mean? I said, we could just hear you screaming in your room. And, uh, and that is unusual because I, I do have lots of dreams, but I'm not really a sleepwalker or a sleep talker or anything like that. And so that was kind of interesting and, um, and unusual. And so fast forward a couple of years, um, my roommate and I, we, we move out of the dumpy apartment and we get into a house uh, closer to campus. And uh, we have two more roommates that live with us. And it's a, a beautiful little cute home. And um, this one particular day, I, uh, I came home. It was one of those nights where, you know, I was spending all night in the studio and things like that. And I was exhausted. So I came home and I was going to take a nap Um, because I was actually going to go out to a party later that night. And so I was like, well, I want to rest up. I want to get out, you know, and and go have fun or whatever. And so I I went and I took my nap. And then when I woke up, um, there was still, it was was kind of like dusk. So I could still see the sun um, just kind of peering through my windows a little bit as it set. Um, But when I, when I opened my eyes, I could see my entire room, it was still lit, um, you know, from, from the sun, it was still bright enough that I could see everything. Uh, but then on top of me was this kind of translucent, transparent, like black figure, like an almost like smoky black figure. Um, it didn't have any features, um, it just had shape. Uh, and so it was the shape of like a very large person. Um, and so when I woke up, uh, I saw this figure on top of me and I couldn't move. I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, I couldn't do anything. 
And in fact, the opposite happened. All of a sudden, I felt pressure on my body, sinking me further and further into my mattress. Um, and I can still just remember that, just that pressure as like it just kind of sunk into my chest and like just all the air escaped from my body. Like I said, I couldn't speak, I couldn't scream, I couldn't do anything. Um, and then kind of just as I, you know, sunk into my mattress, I mean, what it seemed like forever, but I'm sure it was only a matter of seconds, um, then like the figure kind of just dissipated, disappeared. And I could breathe again and I could move and it was, and I, I didn't understand anything. It was completely gone. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I looked around and I, I honestly don't know what it was or where it came from or anything like that. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, some people can uh, chalk it up to perhaps maybe I was still dreaming. Um, however, nothing changed. You know, I was awake when it happened. And so I know for a fact I wasn't dreaming, but then people talk about sleep paralysis. And that's something that could be valid, um, you know, like when you're your dreamlike mind kind of switches over into your awake, you know, there's kind of like maybe some slower thing, you know, mind's trying to catch up. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily all, you know, connect right away. I'm not really sure. Um, but it was just something that I thought about when, when that happened, you know, made me kind of think back to that, that frightening dream that I had a couple of years ago. And, you know, whether they're connected or not, I don't really know. A few years ago, I was down in New Mexico. Um, I, I met up with uh, a friend of mine down there, and we decided to go hiking. We were going to climb the highest point in New Mexico, uh, Mount Wheeler, just outside Taos. Um, we got a good early start, drove to the trailhead. Um, it was a fairly long drive uh, where we, where we um, um, ascended quite a bit um, uh, in elevation. We got to the trailhead and uh, decided to start hiking. Um, there was a good early start, there, and there were a few other people on the trail. Uh, we started, uh, we left the trailhead um, and, continue, and hiked on into the forest. And the first, uh, probably two-thirds of this hike uh, to, to the peak is, is in the forest. Since we're going up the side of the mountain, um, the trail switchbacked back and forth with, with numerous turns. And the forest there was very heavy. Uh, you really, there was a lot of deadfall, um, lots of vegetation. Uh, it, was, it, it was very thick and you had to stick, stick to the trail. The trail itself uh, was quite rocky, lots of roots, lots of points at which you, uh, you could trip. You had to be careful. Uh, where you stepped. So we had been hiking for maybe an hour or two and uh, we we're both definitely a little out of shape and between that and the elevation it was getting to us a little bit so we had we had to take a good number of breaks. Um, one of these breaks we sat down we sat down right around the bend of a, uh, of a switchback so we could see both up and down the trail. But not, not very far in either direction. We're sitting on a log eating a couple of peaches and we hear a mountain lion very loud and presumably very close. 
Now, like you say, the, the vegetation is very heavy. It's fairly rugged terrain. We can't see uh, any signs of a mountain lion anywhere. Um, but we know they have to be close. And just after we heard uh, the mountain lion's roar, um, a woman came walking uh, down the trail uh, with her dog. She obviously heard it too. Uh, she held up, a, as she passed us, she said hi, she held up a whistle that was around her neck. She said, I carry this for bears, but I can't, you can't do anything about mountain lions. <laughs> we, we found that to be a little ominous. Um, and she, she walked on, walk, walked on past us. As she was maybe 10 or 15 feet past where we were setting, sitting, um, we noticed somebody coming up the trail. Now, we didn't know that there had been anybody behind us. We're not surprised. There were plenty of people much stronger than us on the trail that day who, who could have caught up. Um, but the interesting thing is when this, when this man walked past the woman, she didn't, she didn't acknowledge him at all. It was almost as if she didn't see him. Um, as he passed by us, he said, he said hi to us. Now, unfortunately, we can't remember the exact words that he used. It wasn't just hi. It was, it was some phrase um, that, that we recognized as a greeting, but it was something out of a different time. It just, it just wasn't right. Um, and this man was dressed almost like a, almost like an old time prospector. Um, now, of course, that's an outfit that you might see in somebody wearing in, in Williamsburg or in any big city. Um, wide brim hat, denim jacket, um, denim pants, all black. Um, but we noticed that he wasn't wearing any shoes. And despite that, he was moving quite quickly across the terrain. We also noticed, oh, and I should point out, he, he had a backpack on, but the backpack seemed to be empty. It was completely flat against his back. He didn't have shoes strung around his neck or in his hands or anywhere. Now, we also noticed that he carried with him a staff or, or, or wand, I'm not quite sure what to call it. It was about maybe three feet long. Um, at various points, it was beaded, it had le leather tassels on it. And, well, I'll get to that in a moment. So he, he walks past us. We found this encounter a little odd, but we didn't think too much of it at the time. You run into all sorts of interesting people out in the woods. Um, he passes by us. We finish up our little break, start hiking. We're not far behind him. Now, as I say, there are a series of switchbacks. So he's maybe oh, two, 200 or so feet ahead of us. Every once in a while, we lose him as he goes around the corner. We lose sight of him. Then we, we round that corner and uh, you know we can see him again. We continue hiking and we can see him stopping at a few points. And he holds up his staff and seems to take almost as if he's taking a sight line along it. Um, 
holding up, pointing at trees, at the mountain, at, at, at various things. We found this, we found this a little odd. So we continue hiking and again a few times we see him stop. We round a few more uh, switchbacks and then we get to the final switchback. Uh, the one that's at the base of the mountain where we're leaving the tree line and we're going into a rockier train. Now, up until this point, most of the switchbacks had only been, I would say, five or 600 feet long before we got to the turn. This final one was a quarter of a mile or longer. Um, as soon as you came around the turn, you're uh, outside of the, out of the trees, outside of the forest, and you could see the, um, the rocky slopes of the mountain. Um, as we rounded this final turn, we noticed this man was gone. Uh, he was moving fast on the terrain, but there was no way that he covered the, the much large, longer distance um, um, in the time that it took us to round, to round the corner. And like I say, the, the, the woods were very, were very dense, lots of rocks. It's not like he could have easily gone off the trail. Um, without encountering a bit of trouble. Now, what's really, what we found really eerie about this is that as soon as we noticed that he was missing, that he was gone, we heard the mountain lion again. This time it was a bit more distant. Again, no sign of a mountain lion whatsoever. At this point, we were sufficiently uh, uh, freaked out. And we were also also feeling a little worn out. We had, we had bitten off more we could chew with this trail. And this, this strange, unnerving experience didn't help at all. We decided to head back, head back down. And as we're going down, we occasionally pass some other hikers. Again, people who are in better shape than us going faster, passing us on the way down. And we asked, did they, did they see somebody all in black, black hat, carrying a staff? Nobody had seen them get back to the car, go back to our hotel. Later on, we check um, with the Forest Service, just go on their website, see if there are missing persons reports or anything of that nature. There's nothing. And then we start reading about this a little bit more. And we come across, um, we come across the, uh, uh, a website that talks about the, the missing 411, which is a story into itself but it's about people who go missing in national parks and, and uh, wilderness areas. And we found this very interesting because in reading this, it mentioned that people tend to go missing right around large exposures of granite. That's exactly where we were, at the base of the mountain. You know, we had all the, all the loose, the, the, the talus slope, the, the loose boulders that gathered around the base of the mountain. So we, we found that odd. But still, something about this wasn't adding up. We, we uh, over dinner that night, we talked about um, what, what we had encountered and what we had seen, just trying to compare stories. And we realized that while we looked right at this man and heard him speak to us, neither of us could remember his face. He walked five or six feet in front of us. Um, and it's not only that we couldn't remember his face, we don't think he actually had a face. 
Now our memory could just be failing us. That's, that's entirely possible. Maybe the altitude was uh, having some effect, but it's still very odd that we could remember so many details about this person, but not remember a single element of, of his facial appearance. So later on, come back from the trip and I'm discussing the story with uh, some of my coworkers, Joe included. And uh, as I'm telling Joe, he writes something down on a piece of paper and, and pushes it towards me on the table. And uh, it says, Skinwalker. I don't know if that's what we encountered that day. I suppose it's entirely possible. Um, I know uh, growing up in some northern parts of Canada, um, I had often heard stories of, of the Wendigo and um, have, have long been absolutely terrified uh, of this entity in the forest. So, um, so seeing Skinwalker written on a piece of paper was enough to, to once again unnerve me about this entire experience. Um, we haven't made it back to Taos yet. Uh, we'll have to get back at some point and, and finish that hike and get to the top of the mountain. Um, but we hope if we do that we, uh, we don't encounter um, this, this entity again because as we understand it, uh, we were very lucky um, to, to, to see them, um, have a bit of a strange experience with them and yet walk away with only a story, uh, relatively unscathed. It's the summer of 1994, and myself, my brother, and my sister decided to stay up late and watch a movie. And it was a, you know, uh, I'll never forget. It was one of those movies you can't ever forget the first time you see it. It was What's Love Got to Do With It. And it, it's one of those movies where it just, like, jars you. So you'll never forget where you are when you see a movie that's like, whoa. Well, we're sitting up, and it's, it's, it's late morning. It's 3, 4, almost 5 in the morning. And we're sitting there and we're watching it. Well, my sister's like, eh, I'm going to go to bed. You guys finish the movie. Okay. So me and my brother are just sitting there. You know, we're like watching this show. And all of a sudden, I look out. And at that time in the morning, it's not common to see a vehicle driving around. Well, I look out to our south, through our south living room window and I see lights. I was like, oh, okay. Well, somebody's driving. And pretty soon, it just, the lights just veered out into the field and just disappeared. I'm like, oh, that was, that was odd. Like, what was that? And so I mentioned my brother's like, hey, bro, I think I just seen a car, like, turn into the neighbors or just turn onto the the, the, the minimum maintenance road. And he's like, oh, okay, well, whatever. And all of a sudden, within maybe 10 seconds of saying that, I look out and this ball of light just flies up out of the field and just flies up right past our windows. And it's so bright, it lights up the room. And it lights up our our living room our dining room and it shoots off and you kind of see it fade out it was it was almost like a flash of lightning and we're like whoa 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 we're like whoa <laughs> what was that you know is there a car here or something going on we pause the movie we get up we go look around and as we're looking out into the field we see these two balls of light kind of like circling each other and they're and they're you know in this weird uh, circular pattern and then they just shoot off 
down out into the trees and they disappear. And we both kind of look at each other like, did we just really see that? And I'm like, yeah, I think we did. And we just kind of laugh it out. Like, well, go to bed or finish the movie. Like, yeah, there's 10 minutes in the movie left. Let's just finish the film. We finish the movie. We go to bed. That's it. About a week later, a buddy of mine, he's like, yeah, he used to bike over all the time. He, he decided to spend the night. Uh, I had my room upstairs, and then there was a hallway room where you know guests would sleep. I go to bed, and the next morning I wake up, come downstairs, and he's sitting there and kind of has all his gear on, ready to go, you know, bike three miles home. And I'm like, hey man, is everything all right? You know, did you have breakfast? And he's like, ah, I can't really eat, and nah, I, I want to go home. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, is everything all right? And he's like, ah, I don't want to stay at your house anymore. And that gets my attention. I'm like, okay, what's wrong? He's like, well. I don't know if you're going to believe me or not, but last night as I was laying there, you fell asleep. The house is quiet. This is about one in the morning. I'm laying there, and all of a sudden I thought a car pulled up. I was like, okay, maybe it's my mom or dad or something. Well, I'm peeking up, you know, looking out the window, and all of a sudden I seen a, like I thought it was a flashlight. Like a ball of light came up to the glass, and I was like, oh, that's weird. Okay, you know, is it a firefly? It lit up the entire hallway. And the ball of light came through the glass and then went back out the glass. And it shot outside and it was gone. So I don't ever want to stay at your house again. <laughs> I was like, I don't think you're crazy one bit. We seen something similar last week. But yeah, you don't have to stay here anymore if you don't want to. <laughs> About three weeks later, we ended up moving out. And that was the last experience I had with these strange lights. But seeing weird lights in the sky or seeing weird lights coming out of the wherever, you know. Um, is quite an eerie feeling because there's just no answer to what these things are. That's all I have for that. He was, he was hunting in um, Livingston, Wyoming. They had backpacked um, about two, it was one day, one day, up in the up in the mountains, we say hills. They, those are mountains, and um, they had um, they had set up camp, and they were all prepared. And then that that winter, or that that about that time, they had snow, so it it came down. But they all split up, and um, they left um, some of the mules there and whatnot. And he took off this way. I'm going to go this way, and he went with his and because it looked drier, he thought. Anyway, he's, he said he um, came across his footprint, and it was huge. He said it's nothing, he said looked man-like, but not. Had five digits, longer, he, and he, his arms were long, Brian's arms, so he said like this. That's a huge footprint. Wow. I used to measure Jordan's foot by this. You know, he wears this size, <laughs> put it down thing, and okay, so I, anyway, when he went like this, I thought that's a huge footprint. He goes, yeah. He said I was. Um, he said I bent down. He said I was brushing things away and I was staring at. It. He said, but he said all the hair. He said started standing up and I went like this. And he goes, I wonder what you know. He said it, he felt like he was being watched. And then he, he turned around and didn't see anything, but he knew whatever it was was watching him. But then he saw the other footprint, which he said the stride was long. They didn't have cameras back then. He said he sure wish he did have a camera. He said because nobody's going to believe this. So he kind of told the guys all about it. 
and they had already been gone like four days in. It was Friday, so they decided to leave the mountain, go down to the car where the car was, where the trucks were parked, go into town, which is another 40, 40, 50 miles, you know, or somewhere like that, and go to the steakhouse. <laughs> so, yeah. So he, they started talking, and um, and then Brian brought up to to this this bar and grill place to the guys at the table. He goes, this is what I saw. And um, they got all quiet. But what he didn't realize is that the whole place got quiet when they were listening to his story because somebody picked up, you know, they all kind of heard it. And he was trying to be quiet. And so he kind of walked away because the guys then started laughing and joking about it. So he walked away and he was going to go up to and buy a round of beer for all of them. And he got there and he ordered his drinks. And the guy that was sitting out there, he goes, so you saw the footprints? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, I saw footprints. He, he told him how long it was. The guy said, now I'll tell you something. He goes, they don't want to believe that something like that lives up there. He said, but there is. He said, I'll tell you how I know. He said, I'm a guide. He said, and I was up there blazing a trail and stuff, you know, cutting down woods and stuff to get these guys to the particular spot. When I cut this tree down, he said, um, I wasn't paying attention and it landed on me. He said, so I was laying there and I was saying, Oh God, I'm gonna die up here because you know you're out in the remote and if you got like a tree, he said, laying on you, you can't. He said, and out of nowhere, he said, this smell. He said, that's what you'll notice first is the smell. He was out of nowhere. He said this thing came, but he stood so big he was blocking the sunlight. He said, and I couldn't quite make it up. He goes, but he picked it up and he threw it like it was a javelin. He grunted at me and he said, strode off up the mountain. He said, I never saw it again. He said, but I had to climb down he said i crawled down and climbed down till i got to where i needed to go with then i got out he said then i was able to get up on top of the mule get down to my car and you know and off he said i went but he said that's what he said that's why they're quiet they don't believe you he said they don't want to believe you he goes but it happened to me so i thought wow and so I, I believed him because my husband was no nonsense don't believe in that stuff you know and you'd have to he'd have to see it to believe it he said but something out there he said he said I was the one he said I felt like the prey he said I felt like something was watching me and I thought now I know what deer feels like now I know what he said other things and we just kind of laughed about it because we've seen some weird stuff around that area too but something even in the graveyard mm. yeah well there was there was um and now I just think Roxy was just a grave digger it was just somebody who was into digging graves and was going to be stealing that person's jewels in the grave. That's how I can, you know, that's how it makes, yeah. So there was um, his two sisters, um, Rhonda was sitting with me and her, her Renee and her boyfriend or her fiance were in the back. I was in the middle and Brian was driving. And we were heading on that gravel road that goes to the White Rock town. And we were going to Fairmont to a basketball game. Anyway, Russell was playing basketball in Fairmont. We turned like this, and our lights shone right on the grave marker. You know, that, that whole graveyard. You could just see it. And it was the biggest grave marker there, that tall one. And out, and he was all in black. You didn't see a shovel. And you didn't see a face either. It was just all black. So it could have been a shadow person for all I know. But I thought, 
and I, we all, me and Rhonda screamed at the same time. And all I could say was, go, 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 go. And we did, because we, you had to swing wide. And we're, our lights are still shining out. And it's just standing there. But it looked like it was had cape-like. I'll put it that way. We thought, does he have a cape on? We looked. I looked at Rhonda, and she was too petrified. She wasn't looking anymore. She was staring this way. I was looking at it, and I thought, where's the face? Where's the face? And I said, what was that? And... and Brian just was driving. He, he didn't say, he didn't talk much after that. You know, if he didn't, if he, if it wasn't in the reality part of what was going on, he didn't talk about that. He just didn't like hearing things like that. Or the time we were, I think I told you, we were sitting on the east side of the garage over there. I said, look at all those stars and look at those five. They are different from all the other ones. And they just came down lower. And I said, are those UFOs? And are they listening to us? And all of a sudden they went, like this, and they were gone instantly. Like they did a little show for us, and were gone in every direction at faster than the speed of light. It just was nothing there. Wow. And we went, and Brian goes, "Yep, that's enough." And he gets up and leaves me, walks away. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. That was his. Oh, that was his way of handling it. That's enough. Like that, nope. That cemetery. That's the one north of the colony. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> About thirty years ago, we were driving through there in the late evening, and. Uh, Cold, you know, cold fall night. And I happened to look over and I'm like, hey, mom, like, uh, what's that boy doing in the cemetery? And she's like, what? And so we both look over and sure enough, there's a little kid sitting out there in the side of the side of the gravestones. And I'm like, what, what, what's up with that? You know, like, do we need to turn around and check on this kid or do we need to like call the cops? Of course, this is before cell phones. So, but yeah, that's, that was our experience with that same cemetery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little kid sitting out there in the middle of the night, or in the middle of the evening. It was really unsettling, so it's always bothered me since. So um, uh, I work here at the Plains Art Museum uh, alongside Joe, and um, this is a, a historical building. It's well over a hundred years old. Um, we have uh, we've had strange experiences in one of our elevators. Um, I've long heard that that this particular elevator uh, runs by its own at night. Um, indeed, I've heard it run at night when I've been here by myself well after hours. And uh, a few months ago, uh, the elevator started talking to us. Um, it comes on at the strangest time. The voices appear at the strangest time. You'll be in the elevator, you know, just, just going from floor to floor. And without pressing any of the buttons on the panel, for example, the emergency call button that you would use if the elevator got stuck, um, a disembodied voice just comes through the speaker. We can't quite understand what they're saying. It's, it's, it's garbled, it's staticky, but there's no reason why this voice would be, would be coming on. And uh, it tends to appear, it, we tend to hear it at, at strange times. It, it, it has a sense of timing 
and maybe even a sense of humor. So there have been a few times when I've been going into the elevator after maybe uh, a frustrating moment at work or when we're in a particular hurry and the door will close, the elevator will start moving and the voice will come on um, and with its garbled speech try to try to communicate and what goes through my mind when I hear that is I don't have time for this right now just get me to the second floor and and I'll leave you alone so maybe someday we'll figure out how to talk back to it um, how to communicate with the spirit on the other side the interesting thing is this is a new elevator we have a, a elevator in the building that's original to the building's construction in the early 1900s. Um, this, the elevator that we hear the voice in, it's only about 30 years old. So it seems a little strange that that uh, uh, that it has found a, a, a haunting of its own. that elevator <laughs> so much um is it still recording it's still recording. okay so yeah that passenger elevator um it has like all elevators have those speakers now right where you can press a button and it'll call like 911 if you're stuck and um we all kind of know if you've been here at the museum past hours that the passenger elevator just starts running on its own and nobody's in there and whatever and that's like probably a mechanical thing or spooky in itself but i recently was telling someone um, in the elevator, I was like, yeah, this elevator's haunted, whatever, sometimes it'll run. And she was like, oh, that's gotta be a huge electrical like annoyance. Like, I'm sure that's expensive. And I was like, yeah. And she got off the elevator and I hit the button to make it go and it just didn't go for a few seconds or like a minute, like whatever. I was there for a little while and I was like, oh, what, are you mad that I told someone about you? And then the speaker started talking to me. Just, and it, like, it's not like super audible. It's kind of like in those ghost shows where like, it's like, and like you hear something coming out, but I was like, you're, so you're sentient now? Like what's going on? So yeah, I try to avoid that elevator as much as possible. <laughs> I was uh, about 13 years old, and I used to uh, ride my dad's um, quarter horse. He had a roping horse, and um, I left in the morning, probably like mid mid morning, and I met up with my cousin in Busby. And uh, the Mennonite Church is like north of Busby, and and that's where the sand rocks are toward the north. And um, we were out there, we went past all the sand rocks and we picked berries and just just, just rode around and uh, a lot of joking and teasing and uh, just enjoying our, our time together. And, um, and then we stopped and we played at, at one of the sand rocks and we were sliding down and we were 
competing on um, who could climb the highest. Of course, I won. <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, um, so we decided it was time to go home. And she she would go uh, west from the Sand Rocks. And um, and so we we said we would ride again the next day. And that was like on Saturday. And so so I, I started riding back to Busby, which is um, south of the Sand Rocks. And then once I get to Busby, then, but then I, I, there's a little creek that you cross before you get to Busby. And I was just about to that creek when I heard my Cheyenne, my, my Indian name, my Cheyenne name. And, and I'm looking back and, you know, my, my cousin would just, she was a jokester. And so I thought, well, that old witch, she's um, trying to scare me, you know, and I'm not going to get scared, you know. <laughs> And, and and I was hollering at her, you know, go on home. Quit trying to scare me, you know. You're gonna somebody's gonna jerk you off your horse. You know, I can I was trying to scare her too. Anyway, <laughs> um, I I I didn't hear my name anymore, and I I rode into Busby, and then um, and then of course, and I, I went east from there to um, was going home, and uh, and I was tired, and when I got home, nobody was there. Uh, that the, the the kitchen light was on, and the doors were wide open. So I knew my 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 mom and dad must have just went somewhere, and my sisters and I figured maybe to the store. And I sat down on the couch in the living room and put my head back, and because I was tired. And so I'm not sure if I woke up, or if I was dreaming. But there was this old lady in front of me. And I can't say if she was sitting or standing. And in 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 my in my what I believe is a dream is that like she was floating, but she was right in front of me. And I remember her dress was the background was was blue, and it had red uh, red flowers on that on her dress. And it's just that time the elderly ladies would just make real simple dresses. And she was telling me, she said, um, you're going to leave from here. She said, and when you leave, she said, you're going to get something. You're going to earn something. You're going to learn something, she said. And you're going to bring it back. And you're going to help. Uh, you know, now what's done, I'm like, uh, like my people, my uh, people, my tribe. And so... Um, so then uh, I woke up, my folks came back, and uh, and I told my mother about it, and then my grandmother, and they couldn't didn't make much of it, you know, and so I, so I just forgot about it. And so here I am, I'm from Montana, and I'm in South Dakota earning a degree, and it's in alcohol and drug abuse studies, and um, Native American studies, and I uh, worked up worked at a treatment center, was culture coordinator, but, um, and I still didn't remember anything until I, I got back home, and um, um, I was telling stories of my childhood, we were just sitting and visiting, I was sitting visiting with uh, some of the staff, and, um, and I started telling the story, and, it, and I just stopped because here I am sitting in an office working for the college and um, 
um, helping uh, people with disabilities to become employed. Uh, I went to school to be a counselor and um, uh, I'm a fluent speaker, so I I connected with them pretty good. Uh, but the scary part for me was, uh, was you know, that spirits are, are alive and well. <laughs> I, I, I think when I look back on that, because I, I have no explanation, just, you know, like with my grandfather and, and, and what he experienced, you know, he, he didn't put anything good or bad to it, just exactly for what it is. But it makes you wonder. It it makes you go go in the house before it gets dark. It makes you leave a nightlight on. <laughs> but um, uh, the part of another story is about um, about these hunters, and this is a story from like way back. And they and they were. Um, uh, they made a camp. They they uh, they weren't successful in hunting that time either, and so, but they were. They had a fire going, and they were eating, joking, and laughing, and telling stories. And um, and and a man came. Like like kind of into the, into the light of the fire, and so he was telling them that uh, that his horse bucked him off. He was out hunting, and you know, um, was uh, was hungry. And so they fed him. So he sat down, kind of, kind of, not not right up with the with the men that were visiting, but kind of toward the back. And um, he 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 was visiting with them and eating. And then um, and then that man stood up, and he thanked the men for sharing their meal with him. And he was still chewing, and when he swallowed, the the food fell out from his throat. And uh, he turned and walked away, and the men just realized that they fed a spirit, that 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 person was already dead. The story begins um, not too long ago. I think it's like a, two months ago. Um, I am sleeping in my room, and... You know, I fell asleep quite, you know, uh, in-depthly. And I remember waking up in my dream, which was just mind-boggling because I woke up in my room in my dream. And I noticed that my room was so much more darker than it usually is if I wake up in the middle of the night. And I noticed that my my closet door is open and I'm staring at it. And in my mind, in my dream, I remember like just being like, something better not come out of there <laughs> because I'm aware that I'm dreaming, that I'm in this like state. And sure enough, I'm looking at it and I'm trying to move and I cannot move at all. And I just see this thing slowly creep out out of the closet. This dark, shadowy, tall, like robust figure. And it's slowly coming towards me. And it's almost as though if you can picture like just basically someone in like a black cloak on a treadmill 
no root, like just floating basically towards me. Um, and I'm in my bed and I'm watching it and I'm looking at this and I'm just like, Falcon, you, you better wake up. You like, you better try move. You better like, just, you know, try say something. And I specifically remember trying to call out to my roommate um, in this dream mode or whatever it was. And I could not speak, I could not yell. Um, and it just kept approaching me, approaching me and approaching me. And at that time I just basically accepted. I was like, well, I might as well just go through with this. As freaked out as I am as like, just whatever, just go through with it and see what happens. And just as it like, um, just as it was approaching, like getting closer and closer and closer, um, for whatever reason, I was like, I'm just gonna try and call out to my roommate for one more, one more time. And I just remember like trying my hardest to call out. And then that's when I snapped out of it. That's when I woke up or came out of the, this, this, this dream sequence. And it took me a moment to like, um, it took me a moment to realize that I was awake because when I woke up in my dream, um it was like this is my room is it real or not and so when I woke up and like woke up actually out of it um I was like okay so one my room is not as dark as it once was in my dream that's a that's a go figure two my closet door is open I can't recall if it was open before I went to bed or if it was closed um so I'm just like, dang, that, that was so wild. And um, I just kind of like thought about it. And then I just like went to bed, went back to bed. Um, now, a couple of weeks later, I'm, I'm in my room and I'm sleeping. And like, you know, there've been a few times before that, like after that moment where I was like, I wonder if I'm gonna have like this dream again or if I'm gonna experience something like this again. I... I'm sleeping and it was like quite warm. And so I wasn't quite underneath the covers, but for whatever reason that night, like I had like, my knees were sticking up, you know? Um, they weren't like flat on the bed, they were sticking up. And so I wasn't sleeping too hard and I'm like there sleeping and I feel something like, like nudge my right knee. And I instantly woke up because I thought that 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 could have been like my roommate's cat or something, but like my door was closed um, for the night. And so I'm just like relaying things in my mind, like, all right, so that definitely wasn't like my body twitching or spasming in some sense, like uh, something literally did just like push my knee to the right. Um, and after that, I couldn't really go back to sleep. I just kept thinking and thinking and thinking about it. Um, and like soon, like after that day, um, after I got back from work, I ended up just like smudging my entire room. Um, just because I like, you know, having those two experiences kind of like back to back in a sense, like that was just, um, like something must have been, must have been like in my room or just attached to me in some way. Um, I do remember like before 
that that nightmare sequence um like i was maybe like a day day or two before i went out for some drinks and with like with a few friends and the idea like came to me is like when you're in that like you know uh when you consume like you know alcoholic beverages it like lowers your vibration and you're 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 you could be like more susceptible to like lower frequency figures or entities or spirits. And I started thinking about that and that realm of, of like, you know, keeping your spirits high, staying spiritually strong and, and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of like my experience that I had, my most recent experience with uh, like this paranormal or spiritual uh, activity. Um, but, you know, as I get older and as I become more like spiritually aware and like, you know, not believing in consequences or not consequences, um, coincidences, it's like, you know, for those to happen back to back like that is just, you know, I'm not going to question it like that. I, I do believe that there, there was something that was in my room or hanging around in my room that I may have picked up on like, you know, a night out with friends, um, you know, consuming, you know, some like uh, alcoholic beverages or something, but uh, but yeah, it was it was something. It was it was wild. So uh, I left my office because I wanted to share something with you. Um, <clears throat> is that when I was five years old, uh, I lived in the HUD house. It was a bi level, so uh, I slept on the top floor, which is about six feet. You know, the, the floor is about six feet off the ground. If, you know if you're standing outside. And one night I was in bed and I know it was after 10 PM because I could hear the, the Kelloland news on the, the new, the 10, the, I forget what it's called the 10 o'clock news. And my door was open, uh, but I was in my bed and I'm laying there and I look out the window and there's a cloaked figure in the window looking in. And I'm looking at it and all of a sudden it comes through the window and it didn't climb through. It wasn't like a person climbing in. It just moved forward into the room. And it was what I would later describe as like a grim reaper figure. It was cloaked and I couldn't see it, but it glided in and I'm sitting there and I'm scared and it's coming towards me and it's above me and it's moving in. And as it's coming in, I yell out to scream and nothing comes out. And I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying. And the last thing I remember, it was just over me. And then I remember, uh, it, I just remember it was gone. And what you just described was what I experienced uh, about 39 years ago that I still remember distinctly. I can't explain what that was but whatever it was it, you know if it was a six foot 
or a taller figure, it was six feet off the ground when it was outside and somehow it just moved through the space. does it for this very special episode of five scary questions i want to thank our guests for sharing their astonishingly true stories so next time you step on that elevator make sure it takes you where you want to go i want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what i feel are some very scary and true stories from our community so please join us next time as we speak with some very incredible people I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canada, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook, or Five Plain Questions on Instagram and Twitter. You can also join us at the plainsart.org website, or message me on social media. I'd love to hear from you. Well, that does it. You take care, and we will see you next time. This has been an illegal.